0: This week on Grubstakers, we're talking about Julio Ponce LaRue, the former son-in-law of military dictator of Chile, Augusto Pinochet, and now billionaire. Hear all about how he leveraged his connections with his father-in-law to liberate the markets of Chile and put a formerly nationalized mining company under his own control, and how he would later go on to defraud investors in that mining company with the help of the folks at Citigroup. All that and more coming up on Grubstakers.
1: I think we disproportionately stop whites too much.
0: I taught those kids lessons on product development and marketing, and they taught me what it was like growing up feeling targeted for your race.
1: I am proud to be gay. I am proud
2: to be a Republican. You know, I went to a tough school in Queens, and they used to beat up the little Jewish boys.
1: You know, I love having the support of
2: real billionaires.
0: Five, four, two, three, two. Hey, welcome to Grubstakers, the podcast about billionaires. Uh, we're back another week. Sean P. McCarthy here, joined by Yogi Powell, Andy
3: Palmer, Steve Jeffries,
0: and this week we got a very special guest. Uh, Jake Flores is here from Poddam America.
4: Hello, hey. Uh, Thanks for being here, Jake. I want to I want to say uh, just from last episode uh, about the timeshares. You guys said I would come in, mm-hmm. swing in, and I just want to say. Some of you listeners are probably hesitant, and that's understandable, uh, because not everyone can see a good deal when it's put right in front of them. (laughs) But uh, you know what? If if you're not interested, you're free to leave anytime.
0: That's our our heavy-duty salesperson, Andy Palmer, (laughs) convincing you to buy a timeshare right there. Hmm.
3: What if I I told you a Chilean timeshare would be yours, (laughs)
0: just outside of Santiago, No, don't worry about Allende nationalizing it. We've got a plan for that. But yes, so this week we are talking about uh, Chile. Uh, We're talking about Pinochet. But more specifically, we're talking about a guy named Julio Ponce Leroux. And Julio Ponce Leroux is a billionaire because he is or was uh, Augusto Pinochet's son-in-law. Augusto Pinochet being the former dictator of Chile. And, uh, you know, so the way he became a billionaire is... Being Hard the work. Yeah, <laughs> being the son-in-law of a military dictator who uh, privatized large sections of the Chilean economy and put his uh, son-in-law in charge of uh, one of those sections, uh, the Sociedad de Quimico y Minera de Chile. <laughs> <laughs> flawless <laughs> got it Sean's uh, been hours practicing that before the podcast <laughs> just in the mirror it's commonly called SQM which is what I'll be referring to it as but SQM is the second largest lithium exporter in the world it's after uh, uh, number two after a Chinese company which we'll talk about a little bit more but they have uh, uh, the, uh, the lease to um, uh, one of the largest uh, lithium um Uh, mines in the world uh, in Chile from the government until about 2030, and uh, uh, Julio Ponce Larue owns about 30% of this company, and this is what makes him a billionaire. Uh, (laughs) All right, wait a minute. We should just talk, I I guess, like, before we kind of get into uh, his life and the history, we we should just kind of talk about essentially why Augusto Pinochet matters, uh, because we just saw this weekend, uh, Gavin McGinnis is here in New York having some uh, rally at, I guess, the Republican Club in Manhattan to celebrate. Uh, that celebra- sounds great. Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Remember when he used to do the do's and don'ts in Vice when it was just a magazine about <laughs> fashion? It's so weird, you know, thinking back to reading that shit in like 2007, that he would become like the figurehead of a neo-fascist movement.
4: It didn't change too many letters on his focus. Yeah. Fashion. It was a
2: subtle shift. <laughs> now all do's are those weird polo shirts that they wear. <laughs> Everything else is a don't. I was in a, a like a, like a indie film with him one time. Really? Uh, yeah, I had to film this scene. It was filmed at Stand Up New York, uh-huh. and um, the scene was uh, that the couple that the movie centers on was on a date at right. a comedy club, and then he's the comedian. So oh. I was the comedian that would like intro he, him sure, sure sure yeah take yeah. his dick out <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's yeah. why he's banned from the stand <laughs> um really? Yeah. so we had to shoot this scene like 10 times in a row which took fucking forever and to do stand up like 10 times in a oh. row like that with a fake audience oh it's pretty gr- grueling i only yeah. had to do like one joke and sure I was sure, like, sure by the end of it i was like fucking done right but i had to watch him do quote-unquote stand up like oh. 10 times and his act is just like paulie shore it's yeah. just oh, him yeah. Talking about fucking. It's just who who are like having sex shit.
1: You know I, you why know, I realized I don't have AIDS? Because I am AIDS. And,
2: like, the audience had to... It was fucking bizarre. Yeah, they had to endure that. I hope they were paid that night. That is... That sounds miserable. <laughs> yeah. It was fucking weird.
0: I didn't read his book. He wrote this book, like, How to Piss in Public. And I happened to have a copy because somebody gave it to me. And I just opened to a random page. And he tells this story about... He had gonorrhea... And he was in a house with other people, and he jacked off on the couch and came in his hand, and because he didn't want to get up and go to the bathroom, he ate his own cum while he had gonorrhea and had a violent episode where he was throwing <laughs> up and had gonorrhea in his throat, I guess. Well, well Sean, I knew and, that.
5: That was a do from back in the day. <laughs> Jesus. And, uh,
0: <laughs> so, uh, he was trying to figure out stand-up comedy. Was, <laughs> was like, and it's called The
2: Aristocrats. Everyone's like, Gavin, you don't actually have to do it. You just describe it. Um I also just, just like,
4: made like six people vomit at their desk at work. Yeah, <laughs> good, good.
2: I do know this uh, weird from that experience. I have a weird factoid about him, which is that he hates it when you say Gavin McGinnis. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if I not that's not really good, like you know, anti-fascist action or anything. But if you just happen to be around him, yeah. that bothers him. <laughs> that's great. So I'm just trying to put that out into the world.
5: That reminds me of that like clip of uh, Sugar Ray's like outside of a club and on coke, and some guy just goes, "Sugar, gay." <laughs>
6: Hey, Who's that sugar gang? <laughs> <ass? the> <laughs> <guys? laughs> Who's a
2: sugar gang? You know what's weird about that? So I don't want to derail the podcast before we get started, but I just have a weird story about Sugar Ray is that Nick Mullen, when I used to know him when he was like twenty one. Right. Uh, back when he was drinking, he would just um he would just get chased home by angry mobs all the time. <laughs> running around a fucking Austin. Just a
0: precursor to his Twitter days. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah. It multiple times, and one time he started this huge fight at a bar. Not even for saying that anything that provocative, he just was like Sugar Ray's and a good band. <laughs> <laughs> People got so mad at him. It was so fucking weird. So funny. It was the tamest thing he's maybe ever said in his life, <laughs> and this group of guys was just furious on behalf of sugar Ray, right? <laughs> wild but simpler yeah. times yeah well
0: uh but yeah so gavin mcginnis uh, a patriarch of traditional western values <laughs> masculinity and military dictatorships and yeah he was he did like post on his instagram in celebration of this 17 uh, year old japanese ultra nationalist who in 1960 killed the leader of the japanese socialist party uh, interestingly enough hung himself in prison after writing in toothpaste on the wall seven lives for my country long live the Emperor uh, wow. yeah I read the Wikipedia article <laughs> and uh, but basically he's, he's celebrating this uh, 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 the violent murder of a japanese socialist and a uh, Gavin McInnes's organization the proud boys they'll often wear these shirts that say pinochet did nothing wrong mm-hmm. or they'll chant you can you look on youtube pinochet pinochet and you know like other people also got shirts with a picture of
4: like a helicopter and yes. uh stick figures with i guess the antifa logo <laughs>
0: falling out <laughs> of the helicopter <laughs> <laughs> I like the idea that Hillary is, like, directing Antifa and leading them into a trap. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so it's like... And, look, I, I'm make not... their economy <laughs> scream. I'm not the first person to point this out, but a lot of people... I have,
2: may not be in the black box. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't even know how to finish that one. Sorry. I started the joke assuming I would uh, figure out the punchline, because she's pretty easy to make fun of. Yeah. I'll figure it out.
0: Yeah. Uh, but, so... Essentially, like other people have made this point, but. In Africa, uh they call her Comrade Hillary. (laughs) I'm just chilling in Cedar Rapids. A lot of people have made this point, but. The idea is that a lot of these alt-right, Gavin McInnes type people essentially praise Pinochet because it's not cool to praise Mussolini or Hitler. Pinochet is like the hipster dictator, you know, the, the neutral Malcotel of military juntas. Right. Or the mountain goats, if you will. Yeah. His old you know, stuff is
5: as good as his new stuff.
0: You know, you, know, he's, he's you might cool not hits. have heard of him. Right, right, right. And uh and so that's why but all your friends are really into him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. His YouTube videos have hundreds of thousands of hits, <laughs> even though you're not particularly familiar. But so that's kind of why I wanted to talk about Pinochet today. But also just this story of Julio Ponce Leroux is, is fascinating in that I mean you really you it, You can't find a more direct tie between uh, the support that government ultimately provides to billionaires and the guy who became a billionaire entirely because of a military dictatorship and uh, subsequent privatization. Um,
2: I like how he's the Chilean Jared. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) I haven't seen a picture of him, so in my imagination, I'm just imagining Jared with a mustache drawn
0: on.
5: (laughs) (laughs) You're not far off.
0: Um, but, yeah, so I guess we can just kind of get into the chronological bio, and then we can uh, d- uh, digress to talk a bit about Chile and uh, what happened there with both Salvador Ande and the uh, dictatorship of Augusto Pinochet. But to just start with the uh, chronological biography of uh, Julio, Julio Ponce-Leroux, um, he was born uh, November 1345 uh, in a mid-sized city in central Chile. He was the son of a doctor and a nurse.
5: A scorpio and, as well.
0: Yeah. Uh mm. Oh, and I guess people have complained that I just read off Wikipedia on this podcast, but uh, this time we're doing it different. I'm reading off Spanish Wikipedia. Oh! <laughs> the oh, transla- <laughs> <end>. <laughs> this the fun. English translation tool of Spanish Wikipedia. Uh, but yeah, so he has three brothers. Uh, one of them's actually a mechanical engineer who also was an executive at SQM, uh, the mining company we mentioned. Um, but basically the way this guy, so, you know, his dad's a doctor, his mother's a nurse, upper, upper middle class Chilean family. Mm -hmm. Uh, but the way he becomes a billionaire is entirely through happenstance. Uh, and the, the story is just this. As a teenager, he was vacationing with his family where he met, uh, Veronica Pinochet Harriot, daughter of Augusto Pinochet and Lucia, Lucia Harriot, uh, Carriot, Art, I guess. Flawless. It's Pinochet's widow. She's still alive. Uh, they were married from 1969 to 1991 and had four children. And uh, coincidentally, he would uh, divorce her in 1991, the year after Augusto Pinochet stopped being the military dictator of <laughs> oh, Chile. yeah, my man. <laughs> I just like the idea of, like, kind of holding out, like, yeah, the marriage, it's really on the rocks, but I'm kind of waiting until her dad doesn't have the power over life and death of yeah. every citizen in the country. Meanwhile, the whole time,
4: he was, like, backdoor pushing for, like, no 50-50 laws. <laughs> <laughs>
2: that makes more sense than what I was thinking, which is that he was like, oh, now I can't get free shit because your dad's not in charge. <laughs> <laughs> I guess he was like, oh, I can't leave while you can't dump the dictator's yeah. daughter. Okay, I mm. get
0: it. Well, Maybe. But um
5: but so it would be hard to dump a dictator's daughter though. I mean like at some point you'd be like I, I, I got to just trudge through this whole fucking shit.
2: Yeah. Uh, when he takes her to prom, Pinochet is like standing next to them in the photograph <laughs> with his fucking gun. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Three-armed guards. Yeah. <laughs> He's wearing one of those t-shirts like this is what a feminist dad looks like or something.
4: But he still he's also like, got the cape. Yeah. Yeah, right.
2: <laughs> yeah. You want to take uh, my daughter to prom? We're going to go for a ride in a helicopter
4: first. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I was going to say. It's and then like, they arrive at the
4: prom he's like, oh, thank you. That was very nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: You know, that was a much faster mode of transportation. <laughs>
6: <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, but so uh, Julio LaRue, he uh, studies medicine for a year, but then he attends the University of Chile in Santiago and he becomes a forestry engineer. And interestingly enough, he goes to Ontario, Canada, and works as a sawmill worker. Um, But then he returns to Chile in about 1969. Uh, and we of Chicago? (laughs) No. He he comes (laughs) directly from Canada back to Chile. In about 1969, uh, he works for a company that was a paper and newsprint manufacturing and exporting company, uh, which was uh, basically... um, you know, he was essentially working in, uh, uh, what do you want to call it, forestry, lumber, papermaking, these kinds of yeah. things. Um, and so he does this in Santiago for a little while, but 1972 he moves to Panama City to take over a sawmill. And it's he's in Panama when Augusto Pinochet overthrows the Allende government uh, on September 11th, 1973. Never um, forget. Yeah. mm mm-hmm. But I guess... Um, 70s, 9-11. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so, I guess there's, there's two things. So, he's uh, over in Panama City running this sawmill, and now, uh, in 1969, he's married Pinochet's daughter. In 1973, Pinochet is the absolute dictator of the country of Chile. So, in 1974, Pinochet asks him to come back and take over the National Forestry Corporation of Chile, CONAF. And so this is just like one of those things where it's like, if you happen to have a forestry degree and then the guy who like runs the entire country knows you, it's like, okay, you're now the number one forestry person in the entire country. So 1974, he comes back. um, And so he's in charge of all the uh, uh, Chilean forestry policy as of 1974, but also he oversees properties, redistributed through land reform. And so here we can kind of uh, talk a little bit I did a little bit of research on land reform in Chile, but we can also just talk about Allende and what kind of led Pinochet um, to overthrow Allende. But basically... Legitimate grievances. <laughs> land reform in Chile kind of took place from the 1962 until 73, uh, when Pinochet put a stop to it. But basically the idea was that... Um, uh, what year was
4: there- Allende elected?
0: Uh, I think 70 or 69. Uh, okay. Oh, so it's pre-Allende. Yeah. Allende. So essentially the difference was Allende's idea was every single person with more than 80 hectacres, hect- hectares, whatever it is, of land. Hectares. <laughs> hectares. I like how my English is worse than my Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Allende's idea was essentially all, there were these large landowners in Chile, unsurprisingly. They're haciendas, right? Yeah. Uh, and uh, Allende's idea was everyone with uh, more than eighty hectares, hectares um would have their lands. Exp- uh, okay, I know I got it wrong. Okay, I don't. You know- suck.
4: Stephen was shaking his head.
6: <laughs>
4: <laughs>
5: the most stoic co-host was disappointed in your uh, lack of skills.
0: Everyone with more than eighty units of land. <laughs> <laughs> would have it expropriate it and then they would go down to 80 of the common uh uh, uh land units so i yeah i comes to power in 1970 land distribution land reform in chile begins in 1962 they start giving peasants state-owned land these are peasants who are of course not landowners 1967 they give a legal status to the syndicates which are essentially like uh, uh, uh cooperatives of different peasant farm owners Um, And then they expropriate uh, 3.5 million more hectares (laughs) of land, hectares of land. there you go. Uh, Positive reinforcement. Yeah. And so um, 1970, Allende comes to power, and he wants to continue the process, and then everybody with more than 80 basic irrigated hectares uh, will lose their land. So this is, of course, a huge threat to uh, the land-owning classes of um, Chile. And basically, the job-making classes. Yes, <laughs> and so oh, the
2: landlords, your people,
0: right? And so Julio LaRue <laughs> Julio Larru is put in charge of all these redistributed lands. And what ultimately happens is about thirty percent of the lands that had been redistributed were returned to their original owners. Uh, I think like fifty-nine percent of uh, Chile's entire agricultural land was redistributed during a uh, land reform. Um, but it's kind of interesting where. The other thing that happens is under Allende and the two the governments that came before him, all these peasants were put in charge of these small plots of land and they were formed into these syndicates. Uh, uh, Pinochet outlawed trade unions and outlawed a lot of syndicates and took away all legal protections they had. Uh, and, of course, these small peasants, uh, due to the lack of capital or credit, were not able to invest in their lands and had to sell them back to these large landowners. So, of course, inequality exploded under Pinochet. But it is just, like, an interesting thing where... It's a shame they elected him against their best (laughs) interests. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. If you have a problem with Pinochet, you should have voted. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, yeah, I guess... um, Susan Sarandon. (laughs) Uh, But it's not... I don't vote with my vagina. But um, it is just kind of, like, an interesting and a a sad... (gasps) sad point in history where you had like all these peasant landowners essentially just fucked over because uh, the Allende government was a, a threat to the status quo. And and I guess we can just kind of talk a little bit here about uh, the story most people would be familiar with if they've read shock doctrine or, or these kinds of things, which is that the Allende government elected in 1970 was a moderate socialist government. They were elected in a, in a fair democratic election and they were uh, setting out to, in addition to the land reform we just mentioned, nationalize several key industries, and um, and the Nixon government was not really a fan of them. What? Yeah,
4: Yeah, after um, he first heard uh, that Pinochet was elected, uh, apparently he said, uh, Sock it to <laughs> me? <laughs>
0: well, so yeah, there was um, a meeting between Nixon and um, one of his either trade or foreign policy people where the note, uh, that remains was Nixon told him to make the economy scream or something. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Make it scream. Make that economy slap. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Sock it to the economy. <laughs> Hit the back walls of the economy. <laughs> Him and Kissinger both talk a lot about uh, the economy of Chile. Like, um, Well, Nixon was like a dick about it, and mm. he's like funny. Like, He's like one of the funnier presidents, you know? Yeah. But Kissinger was more like um, sort of uh, subdued and, and coded about it, but he would talk about the economy as like him – being like a physician and prescribing free market Whoa. capitalism to this, <laughs> you know, when people asked him about like why he, you know, wh- how he justified that, and he said, "Would you justify? Would you not justify a doctor treating like an ill patient or something?" Right, right. It was very condescending and. Uh, Pena Pinochet was
0: the straps they used to keep the patient glued to the bed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, you cannot leave. You will take the medicine.
2: <laughs> and it's just really funny because it's all like the the, the Chicago school. Milton Friedman, Kissinger, all these people had this like um, this sort, sort of... explain what the Chicago school is. Let's do that, yeah. yeah. Sorry.
0: So, yeah, well, uh, Chicago school, we've mentioned, we've referred to it a little bit on this podcast, but essentially a very a radical free market school of economics along with the Austrians, but it's this idea that uh, almost all government interference... It, really it started all, at the University of Chicago. Yeah, University of Chicago under, economics uh, department. Milton
4: Friedman and Hayek?
0: Yeah, I think Hayek was there. Um, But um, Hanging out Yeah Yeah (laughs) Uh, Yeah he wrote The Road to Serfdom Hayek did Which was a big inspiration For Milton Friedman And Milton Friedman's idea Was called monetarism Which we we talked about A little bit uh, But essentially The idea is that Through monetary policy Government can control All things And all kinds of uh, Government spending Is intrusive And crowds out The private sector And uh, very few If any government uh, Departments can be justified And all this kind of stuff And it also had the convenient effect of, in the case of South America... Uh, American multinationals who wanted to go in and own uh, assets and uh, resources such as lithium that might belong to countries there, under this kind of University of Chicago thing, well, the government should privatize everything and sell it to the highest bidder, which tend to be these American multinationals.
2: Yeah, and they were sort of insistent upon this concept of like, quote unquote, golden mathematics of free market capitalism in that, you know, if you could treat, if you could overthrow a South American country and install free market capitalism, then we would see it play out inevitably as this thing that structures and benefits society naturally that was their whole deal they tried to instill it over and over again became frustrated with it not happening and this is pretty much like a cornerstone of a lot of libertarian beliefs right. it's really funny because it never historically actually works but there's always this insistence that it works and I think it's really funny that they came from Chicago because I've been thinking about how funnier it would be if they instead of came coming from the uh, University of Chicago if uh, we had trained these libertarians at the uh, UCB right <laughs> And, like paratrooped in improvisers and like Chicago style pizza, and that's what wrecked <laughs> the economy, you know? The golden mathematics of like yes and. <laughs> you Do you know? have
0: to have a military dictatorship to make people eat Chicago style pizza. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Deep dishocracy. <dish-walker>
2: <laughs> Can I get a suggestion from the soccer stadium?
4: <laughs> <All right>. uh. <laughs> What, what, what was that, Massacre of the Dissidents? <laughs> yeah. Why what? are all the
2: suggestions just food? <laughs> <laughs> I don't have any food, but I do have entertainment for you.
0: We want more rights. Okay, I heard uh, baseball. <laughs> yeah, I was trying to yes and, and you just pushed me out of a helicopter. <laughs> yeah. uh, so
4: so basically what they did at the University of Chicago is they had this uh, program where they just brought in a bunch of, um, they had, what was it, discounted tuition or something, um, you know, the free market, uh, to bring in a bunch of uh, South American uh, economics students to basically train them in this uh, school of economics. The sort of monetarist Milton Friedman school. And they became known as the Chicago Boys. And then uh, they... What a great name. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. They uh, set them loose back in uh, South America, assuming like, oh, now we've built the intelligentsia of South America. They're going to turn it into libertarian paradise. And they were largely ignored uh, by like... Everyone the there. The
0: history of libertarianism. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Probably
4: because your five Chilean
2: friends left for a few years and then came back with just like thick Chicago accents, <laughs> trying to blend back into society. Look over there, the bands. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, they kept going to parties and ranting about the free market, and everybody just kind of ignored them. And yeah, they just developed a
2: huge drinking problem, <laughs> like everyone in Chicago. Uh, just doing keg stands and talking uh, about free market uh, capitalism uh, and Ayn Rand and shit. <laughs> non-aggression
3: principle <laughs> yeah.
2: and then like uh, you know ki- fuck, the people in, in the the administration Nixon and Kissinger are just like this is the perfect plan this <laughs> right. wacky college uh, you know s- comedy that we've created this is gonna change <laughs> an entire society these weird this weird suicide squad of people that we're sending down there madness horseshit
5: Shit.
3: They had a big effect on the US economy too Oh yeah I mean there's like a major That was right in the thick of a major turn away From fiscal policy towards monetary policy It's right. like a panacea for everything
0: And we, we talked about this a bit in the MMT episode But uh, essentially with the stagflation in the US The Chicago school Monetarist policy comes Into force in the 1980s in the US And that's modern neoliberalism
4: Yeah I was going to say like uh, when Jake was talking about like you're Describing this sort of Chicago School like you might as well say Also known as what you now here referred to as economics, yes. <laughs> Which even though yeah wasn't always the case, but yes. now it's kind of ubiquitous. I just hate anything called the Chicago Boys isn't a barbershop quartet. Like that's really the only place I want to see Chicago Boys. I was
0: going to say, didn't Kanye just sign them to his label? <laughs>
2: I was going to say like uh, 2003 era hip hop, really. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> like D12 or something. <laughs>
0: Um, but so, oh, and uh, the the fact that I forgot, and this is from uh, Fruits of Capitalization, Modernization of Chilean Agriculture, but after land reform, uh, there was a period of reconcentration of land ownership so that by 1997, the land ownership was more concentrated than it had been in 1955. Wow. <laughs> so essentially, and uh, Chile is uh, of the OECD countries, it has the most income inequality. So. A big part of that is essentially Augusto Pinochet and the neoliberal turn, which is by uh, Milton Friedman, among others, referred to as the miracle of Chile. So let's yeah.
4: let's go back to uh, Allende or Allende and uh, the Chicago Boys. So they came in; they were largely ignored. Uh, so Nixon and Kissinger tried to make make the economy scream. Um, <laughs> Basically did everything in their book. to Those motherfuckers won't ignore me. (laughs) Make the economy come. (laughs) I can't believe I have to stop thinking about the Jews for this. Uh, And uh, so they thought basically they could defeat him electorally. And then uh, Allende got reelected. And so they tried a different strategy, which was to have the CIA uh, talk with both business leaders and the military on uh you know maybe maybe uh enhancing the democratic process and essentially there was a military tried
0: the electoral college (laughs) there
4: was a a military coup uh that ousted allende Mm -hmm. uh which was uh which sounded something like this Uh, (laughs) um nope it it didn't (laughs) basically uh yes so uh they on uh, as Jake said earlier, I, I accidentally stepped on it with a Panama drop uh, on what was it September eleventh, nineteen seventy three, uh-huh. uh, little nine mm-hmm. eleven. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, they <laughs> literally bombed the uh, government buildings with Allende in them. Also bombed uh, poor neighborhoods around them. Uh, sent the military into the presidential complex. I don't know if it's palace or whatever it is. It has a,
2: a weird name. I was reading about this yesterday and I forgot it. But It's got a cool Chilean nickname. Like their White
0: House. Man, oh. What is with the CIA carrying out these operations on September 11th?
5: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> You'd think they're taunting us, right?
5: <laughs> hey, it's a slow month for them. They need to do something. <laughs> la um, mo- Moneda Palace? Is that what it is? Yeah, I think so. Palacia de la Moneda yeah yeah, that's a, yeah
0: That that's definitely how I would pronounce it. <laughs> I think I did a
5: better job than you could <laughs> flawless.
0: Yeah. And
4: uh, Allende uh, did not surrender, or in his own words
6: <laughs>
4: Which is from uh, a movie that was on Netflix briefly, but I think got pulled pretty quick called uh, Allende En su labyrinth. Talk. Flawless victory Kwallis. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I, pract- I also practiced that one uh, Allende in his maze uh, which is Allende I- and his corn yeah, it? yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
4: it's about the last seven hours of the Allende uh, presidency and I would also probably call it the best uh, 9-11 movie it's basically
0: an action movie have you seen the one with Nicolas Cage oh, it's pretty good <laughs>
4: It's... uh
2: Yo, if I was there on 9 the <laughs> 70s one, it would have never happened. They would have never gotten to him.
4: <laughs> I would have punched Pinochet right in the face.
3: <laughs> the 9-11 first responders didn't actually fare that well.
4: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they they spent their time in a soccer field. Uh, but what about building CS? <laughs> <laughs>
2: Or should we just do all the nine eleven? <laughs> Jet fuel can't melt the whatever the fuck the palace is called, <laughs> Moneda or whatever.
0: I like how every other episode of this podcast is a nine eleven episode. <laughs> hey, billionaires
5: love nine eleven. It's not our fault.
0: So uh, he was found with
4: a bullet in his head. Uh, the uh, official story is suicide. It makes it sound like he was
5: walking around like, "Hey, there's a bullet in your head." Yeah.
4: The official story is suicide, but he did not
0: surrender. Um, (laughs) I don't get Why would he say that if he's a native Spanish speaker? (laughs) (laughs) Didn't
4: he record a speech? Oh, yeah. He recorded a speech. Uh, I do not have that. Um, it's
2: really cool. He, yeah, uh, yeah, awesome. so the, the folklore about him is that when, um, uh, Castro came to visit his like sort of project he was building in mm-hmm. the Chilean government that Castro was kind of impressed with it and was like, Oh wow. Okay. So maybe this is possible without revolution. Maybe you can uh, sort of democratically build right, this, right. which on some level was happening. Um, and Castro gifted him uh, an assault rifle, which during the coup, supposedly I don't know how true this is, but this is like kind of the legend right. is that that assault rifle is what he used to kill himself. Oh, but before he killed himself, he got on the radio and, and said, he, "Say hello to my little friends." <laughs> <laughs> he said, uh, uh, "You know, attention, my comrades, socket to me, he hit a fucking button," and then he shot himself in the face, he, he stepped on his own uh, fucking joke or whatever. But he, um, he the, the speech is like long it's pretty interesting um you can sort of google it or look it up or whatever but he gave like a farewell address and sort of a uh you know this is not the end you know impassioned political contra speech it's pretty cool
4: yeah off the like top of his head while he was about to die yeah
2: he did 15 minutes off the dome (laughs) yeah (laughs) he learned from those improv kids
0: (laughs) 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 the chicago boys they train you (laughs) up (laughs) right yeah and so we'll kind of get back to this in a minute here, but I do just want to do a, a quick stat from uh, the United Nations. Basically, uh, under Allende, uh, 17% of the pop. Population of Chile was in poverty in 1969. Uh, this exploded to 48% in 1988 after um, Augusto Pinochet's neoliberal reforms. And by the year 2000, Chile had a lot of had an economic boom in the 90s. But by the year 2000, the poverty rate was still at 20%. So the poverty rate was still higher than it was when Allende was in office. And that's despite, you know, all this inflation and all these uh, sanctions and stuff from the Nixon administration. So it, it's just one of those things where it's, I mean, it's, it's very sad for the, the people who live there and uh, and really just anyone trying to do socialism around the world because they saw what the CIA will do to you yeah, like uh once Pinochet took power
4: uh I mean we we made jokes about a stadium basically he took a bunch of Allende's uh, supporters and uh, government and <clears throat> um, uh, I guess high level political supporters and massacred them in a <laughs> stadium. They also threw. They also tortured a ton of people. um, Threw them out of helicopters. Uh, I, the. I think the official numbers like
0: they killed three thousand and like tortured, three thousand disappeared. Yeah, mass rape, torture. I mean, it was a horrible regime. Yeah, there was like a
2: famous uh, sort of activist folk musician who was a guitarist, and they like broke his hands so he couldn't play guitar. Just. Wow. Spooky, Real Game shit. of Thrones shit. Yeah. yeah.
5: <laughs> Terrible.
2: Yeah, they chopped off his fucking hand like Jamie Lannister. They made him gold hands, which he can't play guitar <laughs> with. Can <laughs> you imagine just two gold hands? You can make the economy scream with that. <laughs> <laughs> and
0: in the midst I'm of just, all this. Wait, uh, I'm just imagining the stadium on the marquee. It's like this week, mass murders by Pinochet. <laughs> <laughs> Next week, Tom Jones. <laughs>
4: Tom Jones comes and like, his, his manager's like, we told them to put you above the
0: mass <laughs> Tom Jones does not get second billing the mass purpose. He won't play here. Uh, yeah, you're
4: saying uh, so. in, in the In the midst of all this killing, uh, Milton Friedman thought it would be a nice time to pay a visit and give him some economic advice yeah. on uh, how to run his country. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, it was, like, immediately after Pinochet took power, the uh, economy took a nosedive,
0: Nineteen eighty-two, there was a banking crisis, which yeah, was worse than all of the economic problems of Allende. Nineteen
3: seventy-three, when he took powers, inflation hit five hundred percent.
0: Right.
2: Yeah, and it's funny. Five hundred percent.
4: Yeah, <laughs> 500% just too much employment.
3: Oh, God.
2: Inflation is the thing that you know libertarian, right wing, free market types like hate the most. So mm-hmm. it's really odd that they use. Um, chile as this example of how it you know it worked our whole right, thing right. works because that's like their least favorite thing and there's tons of it
0: um but yeah so there, there's all these economic problems and i guess we can kind of return to the, the billionaire his son-in-law julio larue we mentioned he's in charge of essentially undoing these land reforms that allende has put in place he's the head of uh conaf the chilean forestry um ministry until 1980 But then in 1980, uh, he gets a promotion, which is essentially Pinochet puts him in charge of the Corporation for the Promotion of Production, or CORFO, uh, in Chile, which is an agency that's been around a while, but it's basically the Chilean Development Agency. So uh, some governments have this where they'll have like a government agency that's in charge of promoting economic development and that oversees all the corporations there. And it's kind of interesting where um, Julio Laroe is in charge of this in, as of 1980. So he knows all the details about all the major state-owned corporations and major private corporations in Chile. And he also happens to know that SQM has the rights to the, the massive lithium mines and right. these kinds of stuff so he's essentially able to trade on uh, insider information and he makes um uh he goes through various stints of uh, presidents of various state companies from 80 to 83 he's the president of all these different state companies including the telephone company the national mining company and national electricity company and of course sqm the chemical and mining society of chile Um, but so he actually, uh, Julio Leroux has to resign in 1983 because even in the context of Pinochet's regime, there's a, uh, uh, an anonymous letter circulated among the higher ups that says he's incredibly corrupt. (laughs) Like... (laughs) I couldn't find details on exactly what it said, but basically, among the Pinochet regime, there was a lot of allegations that uh, Julio Leroux was uh, self-dealing and enriching himself at the expense of the state, in a way even more than Pinochet did, who, of course, Pinochet would later be charged with corruption and these kinds of things. But it's it's kind of in the 1980s. You see, it wasn't real uh, free market
4: capitalism. No wonder it didn't work. <laughs> uh. well, <laughs> this doesn't happen under a real free market.
0: You got me there. <laughs> But it's, it's just kind of like an interesting story in the 1980s where um, Pinochet begins a major privatization drive. And according to one estimate by um, the New York Times uh, and uh, Chilean government officials, or the New York Times reported that a Chilean government study said that most of Pinochet pri- uh, Pinochet's privatization occurred at about a third of the market price. So these state assets were sold off, a lot of cases to people Pinochet knew, in this case his son-in-law, for about a third of what they would have gotten, assuming they'd been just sold for market prices. And uh, one estimate said this cost the Chilean government $6 U.S. dollars at the time. Um, So it's it's just that kind of back-dealing stuff. But... um, we can just kind of continue, uh, unless there's anything else, about Pinochet's in this time, but what happens is uh, Julio LaRue, uh, he goes back to the private sector because this corruption memo gets circulated, so he has to step down in 1983. He goes back to the private sector. He starts of his own company in 1984, and uh, what happens is this company gets a loan uh, partly backed by the state to buy up a, a herd of cattle like he he gets like this agricultural company he's gonna like raise cows or something but what happens is the company it gets this massive loan in 84 and 85 and then in 1987 it declares bankruptcy and only repays one third of the loan (laughs) so uh this was actually investigated as fraud by the post pinochet government in the 1990s but they ultimately cleared him and it's kind of an interesting thing where it's like Essentially there was a big thing where Pinochet steps down in nineteen ninety after a referendum in nineteen eighty eight says we don't want any more Pinochet, but the government that came right after him, you know, made him the commander in chief of the military, it made him a senator for life as per the constitution he'd drafted up in nineteen eighty. So there was a real like let's not don't ask, don't tell thing about Pinochet and the endemic corruption. And of course the torture (laughs) and mass murder. But um the story goes on, essentially. I and mean, 80- if
4: you're gonna if you're gonna embark in an ambitious project, uh, you know there's going to be some growing pains. Uh,
0: the uh, essentially, like the way I've read it is that <gasps> by the 1980s, Pinochet like knows he's on the way out, so he engages in a very rapid program of privatization. Oh, he gets yeah. senioritis. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I feel you. we start- all been there. Yeah. Uh, Also, his government uh, made abortion illegal in 1988, in all cases, where it remains today in Chile. Really? Mm. But, uh, you know, just the the backdoor (laughs) illegal abortion thing and backdoor privatization. But um, essentially what happens is in 87, um, interestingly enough, partly with the help of American Express, uh, uh, who exchanged their government bonds for shares of SQM... um, uh, Julio LaRue is able to become the chairman of uh, SQM, the mining company, mm-hmm. uh, which a uh, post he'll hold until two thousand and fifteen so eighty seven he 's uh, able to buy something like a thirty percent stake in it, become the chairman and he essentially knows that this formerly government company has all of these very lucrative mineral rights, and now as of eighty seven he 's the chairman. And it's a private company. So all of that money is going to him to the point where today Forbes estimates his net worth at about $3.8 billion. Wow.
3: And,
0: um, yeah, you know, and I mentioned the privatization was heavily underpriced. Pinochet himself um, stole at least $20 for in a Swiss bank account, you know. So just like a lot of that kind of stuff that that really goes with privatization, this supposedly efficient (laughs) process Mm. that's not corrupt, unlike governments. But so I guess if there's nothing else on like Pinochet's government, we can talk about uh, there's a couple scandals that Julio LaRue was involved in in recent years.
2: Let's get into El Jared. (laughs) Uh,
0: Basically, he's he's, he's running this company from 87 till 2015. And then he runs into two scandals there. The first is... Oh, wait, wait. Did we talk
4: about what happened when uh, Pinochet uh, lost power?
0: Right. Well there was the referendum in nineteen eighty eight and then he stepped down in nineteen ninety. But...
4: I, I mean um in in El Jarrett's private life. Oh And this is why I oh, think yeah, yeah. why I think we did talk about that. We,
0: the we, divorce. Oh, no, he divorced me. his daughter in nineteen ninety one after he was like, Yeah, now that I own the fucking billion dollar company <laughs> yeah. and you're not uh the guy who throws people out of helicopters anymore. <laughs> yeah, I'm out. <laughs> You're just like a CNL guy who has to like fake strokes to avoid war crimes charges in Britain.
4: yeah, and that's that's why I think he's smarter than Jared. Because I think if Trump went to prison. Jared would still like hang on.
2: Yeah, he would still want Trump's approval. Yeah. Whereas this guy like ghosted his dictator dad. <laughs> It'd be
5: very like Arrested Development, no touching. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. Yeah. Jared would go to yeah. the the conjugal visit yeah. like room and press himself up against the glass and shit. He, Jared doesn't have anywhere else to no. go. No. Whereas this guy totally did. Like, Jared would try to go back to The Observer, and they wouldn't have him. Maybe they would just make him, like... They would give him my old job, where you just have to write about TV shows that <laughs> no one watches. That would fucking rule. Yeah.
5: <laughs> What's
0: Jared's take on the blob? <laughs> yeah. Um. But, yeah, I mean, so it's like... I mean, it's a pretty straightforward case as far as, like, how you become a billionaire. And interestingly enough, uh, I can't remember if we mentioned it earlier, but um, Tesla and all these other electric car companies are heavily dependent on lithium. Mm -hmm. So essentially why SQM is such a huge company right now is the electric car market. So our good friend Elon Musk has also been helping out uh, Pinochet's uh, son-in-law, Using the uh, money he got from his apartheid engineer father, (laughs) Uh, Elon
2: Musk. By the way, I told you guys this before the podcast, but this should probably go on the air. Is um, I've been listening to Joe Rogan's podcast because I'm trying to get on his show, Um, (laughs) and he interviewed my friend Roseanne today, and uh, he told this story on the podcast that's like very not. It's very thinly veiled. Like he's not doing a good job at covering up for his friend but he's talking to Roseanne and he's like people get fucked up on Ambien all the time you can't drink on it my good friend who's a CEO he told me that he woke up covered in his own vomit on an airplane the other day (laughs) in Germany after trying to fuck all the women on the plane and starting all these fights my friend who's a CEO did this and it's very obvious that he's talking about Elon
0: (laughs) My friend who uh, has a space program. <laughs> <laughs>
4: yeah. Can you imagine like that doesn't get out to the press, like just on that airplane, like after right. he passed out covered in vomit, like they just had this procedure in place where they walked down the aisle handing out NDAs to everyone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right,
5: here, immigration form and NDAs. You know the drill. <laughs>
0: But yeah, I mean, it's just kind of amazing to me where it's like, I I don't know what else I can say about it, except for just the case itself, which is Julio LaRue is worth $3.8 billion because he was the son-in-law of a war criminal, or I guess it's not war crimes if you do it to your own population. Thank God. But a mass murderer, torturer, uh, uh, who his soldiers committed serial rape, and he was, of course, tried for this he was not ultimately he was ultimately released for medical reasons and placed under house arrest but because this person was your father-in-law you get a very rich state-owned company and instead of that money going to say the citizens of Chile it goes directly into your own pocket so it's i mean you know we we kind of talk up in this podcast about how there's like no such thing as a good billionaire but well I think he's the exception <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. But, yeah, and so he's he's running SQM from 87 to 2015. And then 2014, there's, like, a lot of discontent in Chile because, as we mentioned, there was kind of an economic boom in Chile in the 90s. But it's in the context of huge income inequality. And, um, and there were these corruption scandals, which, basically, it starts in 2014. He gets fined something like $70 million because he's doing stock market manipulation, which, like, I read like four different Google Translate articles uh, from Spanish of what exactly he did, and I barely understand it. <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe that's part of why did <laughs> Possibly. But so basically he had all these different holding companies uh, through which he would own stock in SQM, and my understanding was that he was passing stock back and forth between related parties and then reselling it like he was acquiring it at under market prices and then reselling it at uh, above market prices, or yeah. some sort of stock manipulation,
4: valuing like it that. at four hundred and twenty dollars to impress <laughs> his new girlfriend. Sixty
0: nine thousand shares. <laughs> um, but so he was fined about seventy million dollars for this, and then he st- he stays on um, as. uh uh, chairman but what happens is in 2014 and the u.s sec would actually fine sqm for this as well under the foreign corrupt practices act um but so just quoting from financial times here according to the u.s sec sqm made 14.75 million in improper payments to chilean politicians political candidates and individuals connected to them between 2008 and 2015 And that's kind of like the other thing. It's like we talk about this guy with, you know, the mass murdering dictator father who goes in, uh, buys up this company at a third of the price and all this other corruption. And then like why it wasn't investigated after. Well, part of it, you pay money to the right people. So he was giving money to both the right wing governments, but also some of the left wing governments.
4: I mean, I think if you kind of clamp down on that, you're restricting free speech.
2: (laughs) (laughs) There is, like, some kind of weird argument to be made there, though, that, like, I think, uh, you know, whenever these guys get in trouble for these, like, weird, impossible-to-understand, you know, Byzantine stock trading practices, it reminds me of, like, um, Blackjack, how you can sort of be, like, thrown out of a casino for being... Just good at the game, yeah, like yeah. what it is. It's not really even cheating. It's yeah. just that the whole system just shouldn't. <laughs> right, that's right, the logical right. end of it. Is of course you would manipulate the fucking yeah. system, right?
0: Well, it's interesting. Like you'll get some libertarian types who will write like the article, like insider trading should not be illegal. <laughs> which it's like I, mean, well, I think according to their doctrine, right. it probably yeah. shouldn't. Well, essentially, yeah. Uh, uh, logically, if you know the system's not particularly fair, and it always will favor these kind of elites with government connections, like, well, yeah, I guess it makes sense that insider trading should not be illegal, but maybe you should take the next step and be like, oh, I guess powerful people will always be able to deal on government information Mm -hmm. and non-public information, you know, so maybe we should look at reforming these systems.
2: Yeah. I think we should live in the radical center, (laughs) you know? (laughs) I nice bet. compromise where we just assume no one is cheating within the system, or try and buffer it in some weird way.
4: No, I, I think, think that's what we have now, Jake. I'm pretty <laughs> sure. I think we should allow insider trading, that's
0: but what I'm
2: means saying. tested
0: Insider <laughs> trading. <laughs> yeah,
2: There's what I'm like- saying is it sucks. <laughs> that's my whole point.
0: There's like a centrism Facebook group and I posted in there the other day like once you accept that capitalism uh, is going to destroy the planet through global warming and must be ended, you realize that socialism is actually the centrist position. (laughs) and the left wing is Stalinist Purgis, and the right wing is Bernie Sanders.
2: <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah. There's a centrist Facebook group? Oh, yeah. That is so There's sad. our neoliberal now. Oh, God. That, oh, I've heard about that. That, I, uh, I mean, I understand a little bit more. I just, mm. like, sometimes you look at people, and you go, what are you doing with your precious time right. being alive? You know? <laughs> Hanging out in a centrist Facebook group.
5: Starting the centrist
4: Facebook oh, group. Oh, God. I'm defending reasonable discourse. (laughs) (laughs) Mm.
0: Well, it is such a meaningless term because it's just the centrist between any two positions. So, like, if you're starting with uh, reactionary capitalism. Okay, discarded. (laughs) uh yeah uh so i guess just like the kind of continuing the sqm story and we'll just kind of run through it to the end so he's uh bribing politicians and he gets caught for this in 2015 and he has to resign as chairperson of the uh, company sqm uh and then this is in addition to his large fine for stock manipulations he was hurting uh, a lot of the other smaller stock owners through manipulation and transferring value to himself through this kind of like shell game scheme of uh passing stocks around but um what happens in uh but basically despite shocked despite all of that the stock
4: market can be manipulated
0: (laughs) despite all of that he still like controls sqm it's it's kind of a weird situation where we mentioned he has a 30 percent stake but he's able to work with like other shareholders to like uh, determine who sits on the board in these kinds of things. So, like in August 2017, the uh, vice president of Chile's state development agency, uh, Corfo, which we mentioned, which Julio Leroux was in charge of during Pinochet's regime. Um, now it's nominally independent, but he was uh, this vice president was speaking at a, a lithium forum in uh, Santiago. He Hell said yeah. he said that although Ponce Larue is no longer chairman, the company's current share structure allows him to appoint four board members, which effectively means he retains control. And uh, that was from Bienamericas.com I'm really not getting the gag. Really, <laughs> you playing the music? Well, I'm so happy. I'm.
5: You know what this song's called?
0: Oh, what? Lithium.
2: Oh. oh that took me a minute. Are oh, you fucking not from <laughs> Seattle, Sean? Get the fuck out of here.
5: Uh,
2: now I get
4: it. Yeah.
5: Well, for your listeners, that's your game this week. <laughs> <laughs> You'll yeah, be we cut the
0: part where we explain the joke. Yeah, I got it. I'm in. But so... Um, You know, so as of, like, at least 2017, he's still controlling the company, even though he's, like, not the chairperson. And it was interesting, like, so June of this year, the company, SQM, wants to bring him back as an independent advisor, but it provokes a lot of outcry, so they back away from it. But he's still running the company. And it was something where, like, the government of Chile was trying to cancel their contract because they have a lease on this extremely profitable lithium uh, mine yeah. in the desert in Chile up to 2030. And part of the conditions for not canceling that was he had to, like, step away from... <laughs> Are these from... licensed? Yeah. <laughs>
4: he had to There's, step like, away. 20 covers of it on uh, Spotify, and I was <laughs> right. trying to see how many I could get through by the end of the episode. <laughs> well, you've done enough! <laughs>
0: This is Rockabye Baby. Look, just to bring the story up to the present, is um, uh, a Canadian company that owns like a twenty percent some stake in SQM has to sell it as part of some other regulatory thing. So right now, a Chinese company, which is the largest lithium exporter in the world, SQM is the second largest. A Chinese company is trying to buy this twenty percent
3: stake. What's the Chinese company's name, Sean? (laughs) 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 <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> Tianqi lithium. Oh, boy. Perfect. <laughs> Tianqi, Tianqi lithium.
5: Sean, get your new overlord's name correct. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> this podcast turned into bullying when people make me pronounce words. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
3: So, listeners, sir, circle back to our episode on uh Russian oligarchs.
4: <laughs> <laughs> hey Sean, what's the day after today? <laughs> uh monday mm, but another 15th? term
5: for it that's not the specific date
0: tomorrow
4: <laughs> i said it right this time what are you gonna do yeah mm. sometimes the irish bleeds through mm. i call it canadian
0: okay but mm. so basically this chinese company was buying up this stake in its main competitor so the chilean regulator looked at this and it approved it but as of like two days ago julio larue is actually suing to give the regulator more time to look at this. So he's trying to prevent this Chinese company from coming in and having a stake in his SQM mining company that has made him a billionaire, and he's suing oh, in court. I figured it
2: out. Okay, so lithium is vibranium. Um, LaRue is chala. Uh-huh, uh-huh. The Chinese yeah. are killmongers. Yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is that, what, does well, that play?
3: Yeah. What, what, once the Chinese company, if they do actually finalize this deal... Yeah. If, when they take over, it'll be like the Chinese version of the Chilean theme song. We'll play. <laughs> Wait, is that community
4: center at the end? The Chicago Boys. Oh
2: yeah. No. I don't Maybe? know. Maybe I
4: didn't I follow the is... thread of the analogy. but sure that, that seemed about right. I'm
2: just trying to get this to a, a, a like a final punchline where um, Larue is fighting a Chinese guy on top of a waterfall <laughs> for <laughs> control of the lithium. <laughs> that's it now i'm abandoning
4: this bit Yep.
0: (laughs) but so i'd like to
4: think that (laughs) i'm like my ancestors who chose to be thrown out of a helicopter (laughs) instead of living a prisoner
2: there you go it works completely (laughs) (laughs) this podcast is free (laughs) uh sorry i just watched that movie (laughs) santiago forever
0: <laughs> what if the last thing those people heard before they were thrown out of the helicopter was the drop of saying Nixon suck it to <laughs> me <laughs> of Nixon saying god damn it. Well, um and so that kind of brings you up to today where this guy who became a billionaire entirely through connections with a illegal military dictatorship that murdered at least 3000 people uh for no reason other than them expressing political opposition uh is still a billionaire and he's still fighting for control of his company and still um kind of arguing with the state but it's clear i think that he has significant influence over the state of chile unsurprisingly for a billionaire of course um so at I, what point did he become a
5: billionaire do we do we get that into that or is it kind we, of murky? we don't know
0: exactly he was definitely yeah. a multi-millionaire at the time of pinochet's dictatorship mm-hmm. because you know by 83 he had to resign for corruption right. where he was looting millions of dollars from the state or taking kickbacks or whatever else it was so but i think it was like 87 he becomes uh, the controlling share of this mining company sqm um and i think he, he he was listed as a billionaire by forbes in 2014 for the first time um and i think part of that is just like all the applications of lithium and like yeah. he is one of the few sources of lithium in the world or one of the few major sources under his control
4: well it's nice to know that that he got a, a second chance after all that corruption <laughs>
2: Can you imagine just plugging your phone directly into the lithium mine? Like how, <laughs> how secure you would feel just knowing you're going to have a charge for so fucking long. Yeah. <laughs> your phone's just glowing and shit, functioning at such a high capacity.
5: I feel like you just always put a new battery in. You would never recharge. You'd just be like, I'm good.
2: Yeah. You'd be like, yeah, like one of those really rich people that smokes like half a cigarette and then flicks it with right, right, just right. fucking cell phones. Oh, man.
4: I like to imagine that, you know, right before, when they're going up in the helicopter with the, the leftist, uh, one of the military guys pulls out a cup of water and is like, hey, check this out. And he drops a piece of pure lithium on the water and it starts skittering around and burning. And they're like, what? It's catching fire from the water and the guy's like yeah cool right science is awesome then he pushes him out of the helicopter <laughs> <laughs> mm.
6: um,
0: but i guess like so that kind of brings you through the the biography of julio larue we'll see if he's able to keep his company from the chinese and we'll see if the government of Chile has anything else to say about him because essentially they were trying to push him out of the company. They found some agreement with the company where they were like, yeah, he'll step away, he'll step down, but he'll keep his ownership stake, but he won't interfere. But it's clear he's still interfering. And he's so, still a senator. Yeah. So he'll be a helicopter CEO. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and
2: like to tie it back to Gavin McGinnis this is this shit we just described is uh the shining example that the alt-right right, uses right. That, like while their shit works yes this is like the best thing to them
0: well and that's like you know and, and i guess kind of like to conclude this we can talk a little bit about the idea of the chilean economic miracle which which milton friedman has talked about but essentially like there's a couple parts with uh, to it where you have like the alt right people like Gavin McGuinness who are celebrating the suppression of socialism uh, through violence where essentially you have like a, a democratically elected person in Japan and a democratically elected person in Chile both uh, murdered by fascist elements. Uh, to prevent them from becoming popular enough to do any sort of redistribution or these sorts of things. And so it is something that I think you're going to see more and more, especially if, say, you know, Bernie Sanders or whoever is, like, popular in 2020. You will see a lot of groups advocating violence and celebrating violence against leftists because um, there is, like, I talked about this on our old podcast once, but there's a libertarian philosopher named Hans Hermann Hoppe. Uh, and Hans Hermann Hoppe basically has the idea that uh, socialists and leftists are such a threat to private property rights that they inherently violate the non-aggression principle <laughs> that libertarians <laughs> are supposedly all about. Uh, and so, nice y- one, Triple H. Y- <laughs> right. So, uh, and that's why you'll actually see this meme on like right-wing people about like quote-unquote physical removal because the Hans-Hermann Hop quote, this so-called libertarian economist, his idea is that leftists are such a threat that they can be quote physically removed from the country because they inherently violate the non-aggression principle that's like the
2: (laughs) the right wing version of the paradox of tolerance (laughs) 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 Um,
0: but yeah I mean and and so that's just something that like uh, we have to uh, be very vigilant about but I think it is important people know what happened in Chile because it is it's certainly not something to be celebrated, but there are very violent people, and uh, I worry that we're headed towards a place of political violence. But hey, we'll see.
2: Well, I'm disappointed that this wasn't a podcast about chili, <laughs> uh, the food, like or I chilies. thought. But I did learn a lot.
5: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, we had a huge chunk on baby back ribs, but Sean made me cut it. And I don't know why. <laughs> I don't
0: know why. Um, and I guess like uh. I don't know, Steve. Did you have anything else about the economy of Chile, or just like this kind of stuff? uh, Because we mentioned the poverty rate. Like they were, they've they've signed a lot of free. Uh, Yeah.
3: Well, eventually, um, I mean, things got so bad with the shock doctrine, sort of like uh, Chicago Chicago style economics. Uh, The deep deep dish dish unemployment uh, land reform. (laughs) uh, They actually went back to some of they they were forced to go back to some of their social programs. Oh, really? Eventually. Yeah, interestingly
0: <laughs> enough, like, Pinochet came into power, but he did not privatize, I think, the copper mines that Allende nationalized. Like, they had to keep that, so... And didn't that
4: kind of keep their economy afloat for a yeah, while? Yeah, yeah.
0: Um, and
4: it
3: took years before the 100-digit-plus inflation annualized was taken under control, and they did it by raising interest rates to, like, 100%. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's funny that instigating c- a recession almost as bad as the Great Depression. <clears throat> that almost rhymed.
2: Yeah. <laughs> um, to, to like
3: twenty five percent unemployment.
2: It's funny that the yeah. copper mine kept their economy afloat because it's just it's antithetical to all this right-wing right wing capitalist right. shit that they'll they'll look at the successes on some levels of the Chilean economy and attribute it to all the. The freedom, you know, and the mm-hmm. like—being uh, mm-hmm. libertarian and atheist online—shit that they love, and not to this huge other factor—the the copper mines. Um, you know, it's just a case of like people seeing what they want to see. I think,
5: yeah, certainly, I think that's a good chunk of all ideology that's flawed. It's like, oh, you mean you're choosing what you like and ignoring what's uh, wrong about it, and yeah. you're believing it wholeheartedly.
0: It's just like one more thing from uh, Julio LaRue. So basically, according to one of the uh, minority shareholders in SQM, and they sued because of this stock manipulation that they said was costing them money. So basically, uh, this person alleges that during the tenure of uh, Ponce LaRue, his companies were never really inspected. And then any time somebody from the government offices that were supposed to inspect investigate his companies left they would get a directorship at one of his companies which is like not something you see anywhere else any other countries that i am thinking of or currently living in this kind of revolving door between government and major private corporations seems like that would be
4: the most qualified person to uh take that job they're already familiar with all the uh, subject
0: um I want to
5: mention that uh, my man Julio Scorpio loves to fuck. I bet he loved to eat butt, especially married up. You know, let's be honest here. But once he got a divorce, no more, no more eating butt after that. That's you my. I think idea. so.
3: I think so. He's like easily the w- the most evil forestry major I've ever. <laughs> <been>. <laughs>
5: I love knowing that their sawmill employees that are like, I used to work with that
6: fucking guy.
0: <laughs> I like mm. the idea of like uh, him not wanting to eat butt and then his wife starts making helicopter sounds. <laughs> 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 yeah, you get down there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, all right. Well, anything else on uh, Pinochet and this uh, incredibly good billionaire? Uh, who uh, leveraged private connections and the informational advantages that came with them. Jig, plug stuff. Oh, Poddam uh, America.
2: Um, yeah, listen to my podcast, Poddam America. It's like this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> another vulgar leftist <laughs> podcast. Yeah. Um, uh, follow me on everything. My at is at Feral Jokes. It's an anagram for my name, Jake Flores. I do stand up. Uh, you can check me out at my monthly show at El Cortez. It's called Yoko. I run it with Clara Kane and Ian Fidance. That's it. Just look me up online.
5: Nice. nice. And with that, this has been Grubstakers. I'm Yogi Pollywall.
0: I'm to Toomey. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I'm the Jews. <laughs> Steve Jeffries. Uh, you're so evil Jared
0: <laughs> <laughs> alright thanks to our guest Jake and thank you for listening I don't care I'm so horny
6: that's okay my will is good
1: My guess is I'm in the clutches of the angry pink menace. <laughs> I am Suvana. We will be spending much time together. You'll get nothing from me but my scorn. <laughs> Tom, this is the people's army. From here we strike out and bring hope to the oppressed. The oppressed who are still slaves to running dog, foul breath, capitalist vermin like yourself. We exist only to spread the word. Tom Tuttle von Takoma. You will be brainwashed! Me? America's son? Ha! That will be a challenge. You bet. Our enemies are all those in league with imperialism. The bureaucrats, the big landlord class, and the reactionary section of the intelligentsia attached to them. Very good, Tom. You quote the chairman well. Our enemies are all around us. We must always be on our guard. Sure, we'll lose a lot of snooze time, but that's okay. We'll catch up after the revolution's Uh, over. That's enough, Tom. The leading force behind our revolution is the industrial proletariat. Our closest friends are the entire semi-proletariat and the petty bourgeoisie. That's enough, Tom. But there's so much more. I I I am running for president (laughs) so that in the unlikely event that I am elected to office and there's not an immediate military coup d'etat to take me out of power, (laughs) this country will engage in an unprecedented revolution politically to take on the billionaire class. Because in in a society where the top 1% of the top 10% of the top 1% of the top 10% of the top 1% of the top top 10%, for those of you not tracking it, that's .0000001 of the top
6: 1%.